This is the podcast between an old school mentor and a digital mentee on managing and or working with people, navigating a career, growing profits, and not killing your coworkers along the way. Now let's join the consultant, Hayden Shaw, and the millennial who fixes Hayden's iPhone, Seth Tower Heard. Uh, by the way, this is the Consultant and Millennial Podcast. He's Hayden Shaw. He's up to over 30,000 managers at some of the biggest, most iconic uh, companies in the world, and also a lot of small to medium-sized uh, corporations, family businesses, and nonprofits along the way. My name is Seth Towerherd. I make stuff on the internet that makes you money. I can tell you more about it later. Uh, and we are going to talk about things that... Uh, you know, you need. However, we we can't not do the parking lot story now. This is this is worth a one minute intro. Oh well, it, it, I was on a flight going to Minneapolis. So it was you know for Chicago and Minneapolis isn't very long. That's like forty minutes. Yeah, so it's not like you know, well, you know by the time you board and take off and all of that mm-hmm. um, flight it, time, it, yeah, up to an hour and ten. Anyway, the uh, <laughs> okay. This guy sitting next to me, he you know, attempted a conversation and I responded politely and then put on my noise canceling headphones. So we knew, you know, that is the ultimate symbol of flight. I think people pay their three hundred dollars for noise canceling headphones so that other people will know they don't want to talk. But um, he actually waved to me. I took my headphones off and he started another conversation attempt, which I answered with a yes or no. The fourth time he said to me, that's a lot of concrete. And if if a person can come up with a conversation around the amount of concrete in the parking lots, in the runways, in the uh, (coughs) gates at O'Hare, it occurred to me that there was just no way we were going to stop that fine man. And so I I put down everything and Uh thought, you know, it's only and we talked all the way until we landed, because I figured if a person's extroverted enough to get a conversation going off of the amount of concrete, there was just no saying no. <laughs> well, it's funny because I'm I don't know if I'm the most extroverted person ever. I, I, I mean, I've got to be close. Uh, I've seriously got to be close because when Amanda and I first got married, I was like, do you want to go sailing with these people? And she's like, well, who are they? I'm like, oh, they're on Amtrak. She's like, well, shouldn't we know something? Beyond that, before we're out in the middle of Lake Michigan where they could dump our bodies, and I was like, well, they seem nice. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I also just have the luxury of being harder to kill. I'm six foot six, so you know, when I'm running in the morning, most people are afraid of me. So I just normally assume people aren't going to try to murder me without good cause and a good plan. Um, no, I that's funny. I, I was going to say that I actually try to just put the headphones on like pre boarding and then just don't take them off. Like, I just try right, to keep right. them on. Just keep them on. Uh, by the way, uh, not that they uh, sponsor the show, but they definitely could if they wanted to. Microsoft uh, has those new uh, noise-canceling headphones where you can like dial them up on the side. That uh, looks pretty perfect for travelers. And think about how many uh, people you could reach Microsoft if you just did that. This is a, a good target demographic for you. All right, let's do this, this interview thing. Uh, <laughs> before I tell the story of uh, the, the business that tried to sponsor us last week, and uh, both Hayden and I had ethical issues with, and we're not not going to do it, but it's, it's comical if you ever see us in person. Um, and I like money. So, you know, there's not that many things I would say no to, but, but that was one of them. So interviews, uh, the first few times I did it, like, this is one of those things where you don't, uh, you don't get training on it. And 
then that often comes back to bite the organization that didn't train you. Uh, the most extreme example I have of causing a lawsuit, I think the only time I have caused a lawsuit in my career, I interviewed someone poorly and then fired her after she no-showed for two events. She was kind of like a table person for radio for an event thing. Uh, and then after she no-showed twice, I just called her and said, you know, that's, sorry, this did not work out. Um you don't even have a last paycheck to pick up because you never had a first day, you know, uh, this isn't going to work out. Well, she actually dared put me down as a reference a few day, a few years later. And I may have mentioned this on the podcast before I got a call. Uh, you know, did you uh, employ this person? Yes, I did. She was terrible. Don't hire her. Apparently that's pretty illegal. And uh, I almost got the, the company sued. So that's uh, now, you know, if you're 23, you listen to our show. Nobody ever told you you can't give a negative review. Uh, what you do is you say, I confirm they worked here. And then you slam the phone as loudly and violently as possible uh, so that the other person gets the message and they'll, they'll understand what you need, what they need to understand. Okay. I, I don't even think, you know, when I first started interviewing people it was even pre-youtube so i don't even think i youtubed ways to interview people i think i just sort of tried to be clever and get them to like do little like brain puzzles to see if they seem smart or not that did not go well uh later in my career i got much better at hiring and i still made a couple key uh key mistakes that uh that i you know would probably catch now all right so let's just start at the very basics of just how to do this even at all is that okay yeah. Okay. What, what, what would the basics mean to you? Because they mean different things to different people. Okay. What ground as an interviewer do you need to cover for sure? What should the positives be that you're looking for? And what should the uh, negatives be? Because I don't think most people are really assigning a grade, right? Or at least I didn't. I was going off a of feel. So how, how do we know oh, whether or not somebody's a good? A rational, yeah. It's got to be a rational process. If not, and, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, because today we're so much more focused on being fair with people. And not letting bias um, um, take away opportunities for people. Yeah. And interviewing is one of the places where if we go off of feel, bias kind of goes crazy. I was just listening to a book and, you know, they were talking about research, uh, why there's so many more women in symphonies. And the amount of women hired to play in symphonies dramatically increased when they began to do blind um their equivalent of interviews. They didn't know the person. They just listened to them play. And suddenly far more women were getting hired based on playing alone without it. it what it illustrates is that we're all just biased. And so when we don't come up with some kind of objective criteria, we begin to go with feel and feel means we tend to hire ourselves. That's the most basic <laughs> thing of all is that we hire ourselves and uh, cloneliness is not lex next to godliness. And yeah. So, well, let me let me jump in here and do please get a little bit. Uh, you know, this is a topic that in, in corporate life. I mean, it's kind of transitioned over into politics. It gets talked about a lot. Okay, as far as bias and hiring and that type of thing. And it should. Because and it should it be. Yes. I am personally convinced that if you want to be biased, unfortunately, the only people who can stop you are probably your coworkers. And so having a national and I mean, I, I suppose it's a national problem that only has a local solution. Uh, I can think of two instances. You know, that's really well said. Thank you. Thank you. Two instances, um, one where I'm the bad guy, one where I'm going to throw somebody else under the bus because uh, this person I really want to throw under the bus. 
Um, the the one I was the bad guy. I worked for a boss, and I, I would if I say had tech skills, I would find a little bus. Uh, background, you know, noise clip, a uh, sound file, but I don't have those kind of tech skills. So I'll just stand here thinking about what it would be like if I could play bus noise sounds. Bus noise sounds. Okay. You know, the the uh, manager that was the most difficult for me to work with, that was uh, probably the most cutting to me, um, at one point actually said, yeah, I don't really like working with women. And probably the biggest regret of my life is not hitting that manager in the face at some point um, for more than for more than one reason. And by the way, I've never committed assault at work or any other place. Uh, we, but, can, we, we can all dream. Yes. <laughs> Hayden calls them homicidal fantasies. <laughs> they are just, yeah, that was just a punching fantasy. So that's not even but, homicide there. OK. Um, the fact that I didn't take that to I HR. It. Yeah, I, I didn't take that to HR uh, and I. Uh, I just didn't believe I, I I had too much fear about going to HR. I thought I'd lose a job myself or the negative ramifications would be so bad that I would, you know, get forced out in one way or another, which probably would have happened. Probably would have, uh, you know, you rat your you boss. Know, a lot on of times like people that. are like, well, you know, you're being paranoid. No, you probably have a pretty good sense of how things are going to roll. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you would have been, uh, worked out yeah. after bringing that up. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you want to commit bias in the hiring process, you always can. And if you want to find a reason to get rid of somebody, uh, that's, you know, covers you, um, legally, you always can, even when it's very wrong. And what's hilarious is a lot of people still fire someone for unjust reasons and then get sued and the person who gets fired wins because they're just too stupid uh, to carry out their bias in a legal manner. Uh, and then the, the second one was that uh, I I once knew a, uh, a woman who her best friend was like the the hiring manager or whatever. And the best friend was very insecure uh, and actually would throw away women's resumes when she found out they were more attractive than she was. And that's gross. That's really yeah, gross. I'd say both of those are great examples of bias out of control. Yeah. And I really, I think you, I don't have a lot to add to what you said. It is a, it's a, a international problem with local solutions to be fair. Um, you were a great, you know, you were, you were a great example of um, someone who watched something and didn't go to through the official channels because the organization had not made the official channel safe. Yeah. And, you know, uh, in our anniversary of hashtag me too, um, you know, uh, there are a number of women who have come forward and, you know, we can get into the big debate. Republicans are much more likely to believe that men are at risk. Through false accusations, Democrats are much more likely to believe that uh, there are very few false accusations. And so um, we get into political territory when we even talk about this. But the point is, there are people in organizations that are like, I, I should stand up. I should say something about this. But wow, that's an awful lot on the line. And we didn't hire the person anyway. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a, I think it's a complicated issue. And you've done a great job kind of explaining that it, aspect of it. And let me let me put a bow on it this way. And let me just put a bow on it, and then let's talk about interviewing. Okay, so if you can, then you got a responsibility. If you can speak up, if you can push back on somebody, you got a responsibility to do it because there's probably other people in the organization that see it that aren't able to. And uh, Alan was oh Morgan Freeman when he got busted. Um, I believe he was actually uh, he was you know committing sexual harassment in the 80s against a female 
you know, co-star or whatever. And I believe, uh, that, uh, actually, uh, uh, one of his, I believe that Alan Alda, um, told him that he better knock it off. And then somebody else actually physically threatened him that they ever saw him do it again. He was going to get hurt. Uh, so we, we don't recommend that you physically threaten people. Um, but a lot of times just getting in somebody's face actually does a lot to correct a problem. Uh, and maybe Hayden can't endor- officially endorse that as a person who works more in, you know, the, the people side than me who just deals with cold websites. Um, but not everybody can. And if you can, you might be surprised at what you can accomplish even without HR. You know, the, if it's your boss, it's a little more complicated. Um, if you see that kind of stuff going on, often just saying, seriously, knock it off is just like Alan Alda did. My guess if my I've been my daughter discovered my 22 year old discovered MASH. Yeah. And so that's my favorite show of all time. And so I think we're now through season five. And so (laughs) hours and hours of it the last month. And my guess is Alan Alda and Morgan Freeman. It would not be a fair fight. Um, But here's the thing. Somebody who could probably get the daylights kicked out of him um, had the courage to say, Knock it off. Yeah. And many of us can do that. If it's our boss, we, uh, you know, we have to be careful about it. And we may need to find the right time and place. Um, and organizations need to do more to make it clear what's safe and how it's safe to do that kind of stuff. By the way, uh, hey, uh, Hayden's uh, third book is coming out uh, at some point. You are working or a revision of a book. You're working on some new stuff. Am I allowed to say that? Yeah, right. right. Yeah. I'm, well, I'm talking to the publisher, finalizing it up about uh, um, about new stuff. Yeah. Okay. So I, I just wanted to say about this this harassment thing, and then we'll move on. Uh, the the book agent I probably had the best relationship with. Um, admitted a couple weeks ago on social media that that's why he was divorced is because he treated, you know, women as objects and engaged in inappropriate behavior, uh, you know, in the nineties and early two thousands. And, you know, he, he was repenting and hope people forgave him. And I commented on Facebook, uh, that any of your friends who let you get away with that are complete losers and I would have beat you up. And so if you're wondering why I don't have a book deal, it could be because I do things like that, but relevantmagazine.com, You can find out what I think about movies. That's all I wanted to say. Keep, keep continue. And I love and that's the right thing to say. You, your friend should have said, what are you doing? Yeah. You're an idiot. Um, a lot more stuff went on in the 80s. You know, it's a lot of excuses. My my daughter got my wife hooked on Grey's Anatomy. And you know, my my daughter bailed after about season six. She goes, oh, this is getting stupid. But my wife still watches it now. And there was some episode about, you know, um, their, their father who was famous. Um, harassing women and his mother answered with you know we did what we could back then we paid a lot of them it was just a different world and that's an excuse and also frankly a bit of the truth and um, so people were less likely to yell at folks and punch at folks I hope um, I hope we're all allowing people to enjoy work a lot better so anyway we've been talking about how bias can come into the hiring process and how complicated it can be. Let's switch over to what's a good in terms of basics. If you hire by if you if you don't have objective criteria, you will hire yourself, and you'll hire in a way that's biased with all of its ramifications. Um, and then, um, what are some basics in hiring? Basics in hiring. Um, you know, there was a time when people were really big on competency lists, and I made this mistake hiring competencies. We need. 10 main competencies and four sub competencies and 
the interviews would take forever and then you'd have nobody who would fit those competencies exactly. I love what Ram Sharam, one of the big heads in business thinking said, pick the three things you have to have and the three or four things you'd love to have and find somebody that matches the three things you have to have and gives you one or two of the four things you'd love to have. And that's the candidate you need. You're not hiring for the end of time. You're hiring to fill this spot and drive forward on these goals. Yeah, that is, that's a good line. If you don't know objectively what you really need and you don't know what your backups are, then you'll go completely off of feel. But there was a time when there was way too much emphasis kind of the other direction. And I fell into that. You know, and a big long competency list that were unmanageable and unfindable. Okay, so to, to go back to the hiring yourself thing, I just had to recommend uh, the book Disrupted. I don't know how applicable it is to most careers, but it's so dang funny it's worth your time. Uh, it's about HubSpot, uh, which is not a product that uh, I recommend at all. Um, it's kind of a Salesforce knockoff. And it was basically these like East Coast white frat bros who hired um, other East Coast white frat bros and then some women. Uh, I mean, that that was... And the women were women who attended previously had attended frat parties in college. And so uh, the the book is from the perspective of a guy that kind of gets hired as a publicity stunt. They hire away the, uh, uh, the tech editor from Newsweek so that they look cool. And he's like this 50-something guy and basically a college fraternity of a corporation. And that was it. They literally just hired themselves over and over. It was just a bunch of white blonde guys named Blake in, in uh, baseball caps. I mean, that was like the whole company. <laughs> Yes, which is the big criticism about, well, um, a whole lot of companies in a in an online or tech space. But let's keep moving to uh, let's keep moving or we can talk about this one forever. For yeah. OK, so you, you can't do all competencies and you can't just shoot from the hip. Uh, so so have, you have your three non-negotiables, basically. Here. Three more very practical ideas. Yeah. Um, organizations can train for sales. Like you said, it's something that doesn't get trained. Organizations can get to a 75% success rate. Okay. I've actually helped organizations um, move from 40% success rate to 75, 80% success rate. How that's measured. It's measured by turnover within two years, and it's measured by happiness within two years. At the end of two years, 80% of the people stay and they are happy they're there. They think it was the right decision. And the people who hired them still think it's the right decision. Most organizations run at 50-50. People who haven't had a lot of hard knocks, like you said, I learned some things the hard way. Um, you run about run less than that. People with hard knocks uh, without a good methodology, they run that way. Well, if, if half of your hires are misses, you're talking about in a small business a hundred to two hundred thousand dollar a year problem. That is a big deal. <laughs> you got to sell a lot of stuff to cover up your mistakes. Well, that's exactly right. But the problem is we don't see the money leaving the building because we don't see the frustrations that happen between team members. We don't see people who leave who are great that we want to keep because we have people who are. Um, sorry, I've been listening to a lot of ELO because I'm old and they're, they're bringing me down. And so and then you've got the other folks who, um, you know, who are who are now busy looking and are disengaged because you got people who are bad fits and everybody knows they're a bad fit. But there they are because we don't know how to hire. And so a couple of things. Number one, um, basic questions 
are around competencies. You're wondering what the competencies are. Number two, ask the state of the art in hiring is ask history questions, not what do you think or future questions. Okay. History questions are tell me a time when you, instead of tell me how you handle stress. Well, I handle stress well. Or as you said, try to give them puzzles or Microsoft questions of, you know, how would you move Mount Everest with a spoon? and other kinds of things that are supposed to test IQ. Well, you said in a past episode, said there's a big difference between information and being able to get results when we're talking about developing leaders. Same thing happens. We're asking information or brain questions about how smart somebody is. That's much like saying, you know, I want the smartest of the smartest instead of the most capable of the people who are delivering results. And I I mean, I remember the hire, we were, I was helping somebody do some hiring and we had some criteria about being in. It was the first time this small organization hired somebody for a matrix position. Everybody else had led a department, and this person had to be a person that had to work between departments. And I remember when she answered the question up, we said, How did you ever think about a time when you were young where you started something and you had to go get resources from a bunch of different places? And she said, Well, when I was in eighth grade, I started a choir at my church and had to go get money in order to do it. Wow. Why did you do that? Well, because nobody wanted to volunteer anymore, and I really liked choir, and I could play the piano. So in eighth grade, she ran the whole thing herself, and by the time she graduated high school, she'd raised money to send people to camp. Oh, we we were done. Because if you've got that ability to go broker resources without irritating other people and you can do it in a volunteer organization like a church and you can do it in junior high, then you're the perfect person to network. To. And she had great experiences in other organizations uh, like Hyatt and Towers Perrin doing a similar kind of thing. But when it went all the way back to childhood, you're like, mm, touchdown, uh, because – It's built into the DNA. It's not just an answer to a question, but tell me how you would or tell me how you do. Anybody can make those up. People can even memorize the answers to the questions out of Microsoft questions. What you need to know is what have they done in the – make that stuff up. Yeah. Very well. And if you can, then you got a sociopath and you ought to fire him. (laughs) Well, let's let's, – I got another place I want to go with this. I'm going to tell a story. I feel like this is fairly sensitive in um, uh, the the space we're in, but, uh, but but I'm not making fun of it. And it, it, it is something that that would be an extreme but relevant example. So I brought somebody in one time, and this was the first question. Okay, and I'm not I'm not saying. Uh, I'm not saying this person wasn't qualified for the job. It was the fact that they led with this. I said, so why do you feel like you're a good fit? Just, you know, how's it going? Look at your resume. So why do you feel, I mean, I still look at their resume, just making sure I was refreshing which candidate this was. Cause I had three or four in a row. Right. Right. And it was my, my psychiatrist doubled my medication. And I'm doing a lot better now. Uh, and I mean, my jaw just dropped. Uh, and, you know, hey, there's a ton of people um, that uh, that really thrive on you know medication to help with ADHD, anxiety, you know, whatever it is. I, I'm not being judgmental there, but if that's what you're going to lead with, it's like uh, I don't know that you're really ready to to handle a career type of job, right? I mean, well, let me put it let me put it this way: it's yeah. great that a person is comfortable talking about their mental illness. Yes, um, but it would be like uh, you know in a um, uh, in an earlier podcast, you talked about a guy who's 
girlfriend, when he was a bass player in a country band, left him. And, and uh, stole and all his money. Took all of his money out of his bank account. And it's not the first guy she did that to. It'd be kind of like meeting somebody at a bar and she going, you know what? I'd love to date you. You seem like you got money, and I've already I've already drained four other guys. <laughs> well, if you're somebody new, because I'm out of cash. If you're leading with that, that's probably the wrong lead off. So here, so sometimes that, it's really that's, obvious, that's right? From the seventy line of what's your sign, baby? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes it's really sign? obvious. How oh, are you? Uh, are you a model? Are you? Re- yeah, are you? So- <laughs> Are you a model? Those would be the worst pickup lines in bar. The other one would be, yeah, I've already, I've already built four guys. I'm really out of cash. I'd love to date. That, that would, that would be right up there in worst pickup lines of all time. Okay, so sometimes people just tell you, and I think that is a good reason to interview somebody three or four times at least, is because the more times you get in front of them and the more opportunities they have to talk, the more times they have to to hang themselves. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. And <laughs> the bet, yes, you should. Um, the state of the art, you ready for this? And a lot of people are like, we don't have time for that. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. The state of the art is to take two days to interview them. Now, if your organization's big enough, the interview would involve, they go through five different interviews with multiple people on the team. And so they're asking similar, they're, they're checking the same competencies. They're using some of the same questions and some different variations on those questions to test the same competencies. They take notes. And then you compare the narratives and you make some decisions with not just, hey, did you like them or not, but you make decisions based on what uh, 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 patterns in the narratives. And that's a way of double checking that even sociopaths can't lie their way through all of it, that they hang themselves. But more but more you're wanting people in your organization to go, hey, that's a good fit. Now, bias and good fit uh, can be a bit polar opposite on this. The irony is great cultures hire for good fit, which means they're also biased. Last in the last episode, when we and we talked about leadership, we talked about built to last and cult like cultures and being really clear about what your values are and your leadership story is. If you do that in the interview process as well as the onboarding process, as we mentioned there, if you do if you have a good leadership story, you have a good set of values, you tell your story, then then you can have bias against all those people that don't fit those values and don't connect with that leadership story. And your bias isn't actionable because it's fair. It has nothing yeah. to do with race, religion, orientation, how your brain waves work, whether what your Myers-Briggs is. It has nothing to do with all of that. It has to do with, do you like our cult-like culture? Do you like our values? Because, you know... The values aren't negotiable. We can do a lot of things differently, but they're not negotiable. And I, and I really will get off of this, but I, I, I really enjoy working with Gore, the Gore-Tex people. Because one of the things that old W.L. Gore said, he had a great drawing um, where he said, here's a, here's a boat. You can be creative all you want above the waterline, but you can't drill holes into the Gore's basic values. That's drilling under the waterline. And they still have that as one of their key principles at Gore. Innovate all you want up above, but you can't innovate on the core values or you'll sink the boat. And you find people who match the values, and that is a conscious bias. And the more you're 
effective biases are conscious, the less likely you are to get in trouble or to be seen as unfair. I'm off that hobby horse. Okay. Let's, um, one more question about kind of, because I love that two days. I think that's appropriate. You're not dragging it out. I, I you know, two days I, and teams if you got them and if you need to bring in some people from your board or bring in some friends to do some interviewing if you're smaller, just to get another pair of eyes at it. Sometimes yeah. I get hired by organizations just to look at some interviews because I know the leadership team well. And they're like, we just want to pay you. We're going to pay you for a full day, but we just want to pay you to look at this and give us your take. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing that uh, I, I later realized I was being watched on was just if you make it two days, you know, and you just have a random employee take them out to lunch, uh, it puts them in a more relaxed spot. And you may find out something about the candidate as well that you wouldn't have otherwise. Two more things on that topic. Malcolm Gladwell said in um, Blink. That the research shows you can learn more about a person by seeing their bedroom than you can in a two-day interview. Now, there are all kinds of legal issues about asking to go to their bedroom, okay? <laughs> but you can learn more about them in that. And a guy named Fred Smith, who, who ran produce um, distribution system down in the south, down in Texas, Fred Smith had a great approach to this. He said, I like to let the candidate drive. One of the things we'll do is let them rent a car and I'll ride in the rental car just so I can watch them drive because I've learned I've confirmed or um, raised questions for the interview just riding along and watching how they handle themselves on the road. Because what I've discovered is how a person drives is really how they drive the rest of their career and their job. And I thought that was very insightful and similar to the uh, bedroom piece without actually asking somebody to go to their Bedroom. That's that's pretty creepy. Uh, if we can close out this section here, you know, one of the most uh, frustrating things I've had to do in a career is fire somebody that somebody else hired. And then when I was told about the uh, interview process for the person I wound up having to let go, it's like, oh, well, you know, there's this and this and this. But we thought it wasn't a big deal. I'm like, you thought it wasn't a big deal. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that uh, a lot of times when we talked about, you know, the unemployment rate being so low and everything, organizations get um, real idealistic that like, oh, well, this person, you know, they got some weaknesses, but we're going to make them better. And uh, I, you know. There are certainly ways to influence and change someone's life. It's pretty hard to do that in the um, space of a 40-hour work week and still get stuff done. So if you want to be a mentor, there's some great nonprofits to do that. But I would not mentor by hiring somebody who's not going to do a good job and then you getting 40 hours oh, with them. Oh, Seth, might drop on that because um, mentoring is not reparenting. You can't put in what mom and dad left out. You don't have time at work to get that done. Actually, because I do a lot of work with nonprofits, especially don't try it there. Most nonprofits are way too compassionate in who they hire. The number of, for example, the number of custodians who are alcoholics I've met in nonprofits is legendary. Uh, you know, we need to give them. No, you need somebody who can clean the place up. Yeah. And you help people with trouble other places. I'm going to write down for a future podcast um, kind of this idea of um, – what you know what we do with what we do to create some great mentoring opportunities for folks and avoid that avoid that problem that's a great follow-up topic okay just as we start to land the plane here i want to just scatter shot some stuff at you pressure interviews are very popular right now what's your take on those um yeah in the hands of a trained psychologist 
Um, they're very popular in government, uh, in particular, in higher level government positions. Uh, yeah, state you know, yeah, yes. thing. yeah. Um, I, um, I, I've worked with some nonprofit organizations that um, have some not miss people, you know, executive search firms. When you're talking in the half a million job range, often do the same thing, put people through a battery of psychological tests and send them up to Mayo and make sure their health checks out um, after they hire them. Um, you know, because there's some illegal screening things you can do. And, and I, um, uh, you know, I've recommended to, you know, because if a non-for-profit organization has people who are around children, for example, and um, and then some, uh, you know, sexual harassment happens, suddenly they're up for a major lawsuit. But if they put them through screening, yeah. a psychologist, and the psychologist goes, hey, we, we screened them and we saw no indications of this, then you're much less vulnerable. Plus, you want to protect kids. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the one of the uh, and so the, many times it's worth the money. And stress interviews are for some critical positions, uh, or for people that you're on the uh, on the bubble about. You, you wonder about. And if they're done right, I man, I had a guy call me once and go, "What was that interview? Oh, it was a stress interview. I wish you would have warned me." <laughs> Well, then it wouldn't have been a stress interview. Stress interview. (laughs) I should have known. I should have. I should have known we were going to have trouble when they were frustrated that they weren't warned ahead of time for a stress interview. That um, that sometimes the practical, pragmatic side of things would not be their strong suit. Yeah. 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 But anyway, yeah. So um, you can put too much faith in them. Some people are really, really good under stress. Neurotics, for example do really great in battle because they're always at a high level of anxiety. So when bullets start flying, it's just another day for them. But for normal human beings, they're kind of wetting themselves and the neurotics are the ones that are thriving. Well, you know, stress interviews are a great way to screen out people with neurotic tendencies or who have anxiety personalities or some other things that you, that have some downsides to it as well. So you can overdo them. You can overuse them. You can make them too stressful. Uh, and then just, couple little scattershot things here. Um, I, I'm a big fan of a 15 to 20 minute even phone or just kind of drive by interview, so to speak, you know, coffee, Skype, whatever. Um, so you're not sitting there for a dang hour after you, you can tell in five minutes, you're like, this is just not going to go. Uh, and so, you know, before even the competency thing or anything, uh, I, I, I have traditionally, uh, and this is something that, uh, I don't know that I can say, oh, I'm a great hiring manager. Traditionally, I have been told, um, by my superiors, I've, I've done a very good job on hiring. That's something I've gotten consistently gotten positive feedback on. I really like just doing 20 minutes getting somebody in, seeing if they're weird, seeing if they're crazy. And then on the second one, we can talk about skills, organization, fit, et cetera. Uh, the first time, the first one is just to see if, uh, you know, their eye twitches or, uh, you know, they, they yell at the person uh, that's serving their coffee or whatever For all it is. those people whose eye do twitch, that's completely okay and not a screenable, legal, <laughs> screenable characteristic. <laughs> that's not what I meant. Hey, you know what? I have a hall pass. I have a three-week-old baby that's, uh, you know, 
by definition, well, does not sleep plus, through the night. Plus, so one of these episodes, you're going to have to trot her out because um, she is gorgeous. You know, I don't yeah. know. I, I don't know that we've set our social media policy as a family yet. So I don't care what your social media policy is. <laughs> girl's gorgeous. And, uh, babies and dogs and fires are good for rating. I, I think uh, I, I think we could like, I mean, her her initial newborn photos, honestly, I think we could sell like a Hallmark or something. I need to look into that. Oh, they're um, freaking gorgeous. No, seriously, those are those are model. Yeah, she's a cute she's kid. She's a cute kid. So, landing the plane here. Yeah, uh, it, this is one of those topics. It's tougher for me to um, uh, get. Uh, uh, a, you know what? Land the plane real quick. Uh, Amanda said she needs help with the baby. <laughs> Fair um, enough. Yeah. So. Uh, he's Hayden Shaw. Uh, he's helped over 30,000 managers, peopledrivenresults.com. And my name is Seth Towerherd, uh, digitalprofitfarm.com. I got to go. Anything else that we didn't hit here? If not, we got some pretty good stuff. We're in great shape. Have yourself a, uh, a fun time with your daughter. And hey, everybody, thanks for listening. Do a good job. Don't suck when you hire. Yeah, the next one will be uh, not so abrupt. See you later. Bye.